near-death experience podcast, an ongoing exploration of spiritually transformative experiences, including NDEs and other phenomena, in order to elucidate the ineffable and better understand our spirituality. All episodes are available at ndepodcast.org. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and guests are not necessarily those of NDE Podcast, the NDERF, any sponsors, or for that matter, anyone else. In the end, the only opinion that really matters is yours. Near-Death Experience Podcast, item number 395, a.k.a. Patreon item number 006, July 12th, 2022, The NDEs of Richard and Pinchon. Welcome back to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official podcast and source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation, NDERF. I'm your host, John Messer. This is the sixth installment that Chaz reads for us from his Patreon recordings. We want to thank everyone who has been contributing to the show in every way they do to keep us going. It means a lot to us, and it's grateful to know that it means a lot to you. Okay, here's Chaz with the NDEs of Richard and Pinchon. Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, Patreon Edition, episode number six. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side. I've got a couple of experiences to share today, uh, both from enderf.org. The first is from a man named Richard, and Richard says, I was admitted to hospital with acute abdominal pain. The surgeon performed an emergency laparotomy stomach inspection. During surgery, they found nothing wrong in the stomach area. I had a pneumonic virus. During surgery, my lungs collapsed and heart stopped. With a struggle, they got me back, but I spent two weeks on full life support in a drug-induced coma. The Near-Death Experience A Native American village with the greenest grass and bluest skies allowed me to live with them with my family. They gave my wife and me a crystal each, chosen by a village chief. We left the village, lived our lives. We grew old. My wife died and I was dying. We were told to return the crystal to the village after or before dying. I reached the village close to death. The village elder gave me a new crystal to help me on my journey and led me to a cave. There was a noise like wind chimes, but the most beautiful sounds filled the cave and cool, clear water flowed over a large mound of crystals returned by other people. I placed my wife's and my crystal onto the others. I immediately felt at one with every crystal. I could feel the presence of my wife and thousands of others in total harmony. 
The most brilliant yellow, warming light opened in the cave. I walked into the light, feeling my life end. No fear, no loss, just total peace. As I felt myself leaving my body, the light warmed me, filled me, like I was recharging, like it was recharging me with energy, but energy of thousands of lives stored in the crystal. As I filled with oneness, I felt as if I was being fired out of the light, almost at light speed, against no fear, or again no fear, just loneliness at not being in the light. Quickly, the light was just a speck in the distance, and then, with a bang, I knew I was back, which was strange because it was two weeks before I woke up. The drugs given me caused the worst nightmares, which still haunt me one year later. I only had one light experience, and due to the jumble of nightmares, I cannot swear to the order of dreams, but I feel that this one was during uh, I feel that this one was during the time when all life had stopped and the surgeons were working on me. That is the end of the experience. Now I'll be honest with this experience, one of the reasons I share it is because I'm not quite sure what to make of it. It's it, it's contradictory on so many levels that I'm left to think, well, I doubt they made this up, because if you made it up, you would explain some things, right? I mean, okay, so let me let me explain what I mean. So, this person, uh, Richard, who does not give us any background in terms of family, whether he was Native American or what, all we know is that he's admitted into the hospital uh, with acute abdominal pain, and they perform a stomach inspection, and uh, and he has a pneumonic virus. And during the surgery, his lungs collapse, his heart stops, and uh, they they put him in a life support. Um, uh, they put him on life support in a drug-induced coma. Okay, so there's some moments of death, of clinical death, going on, and we don't hear about whether there was any tunnel or anything, um, just that he is in a Native American village. Now, this is where the contradictions begin, is right when the experience itself starts, okay? First off, assuming it really is a Native American village, then it is clearly on Earth, okay? And, um, because, or, or it could be, you know, uh, post-Earth people, uh, in a Native American you know, of, of Native American descent, okay? So, but then he says that his wife is there, okay, I, you know, fits. But then he grows up in this village. He's, he says that allowed, okay, the greenest grass and the bluest skies allowed me to live with them and their families in, in this Native American village. They give my wife and I a crystal each chosen by the village chief. And then we left the village, lived out our lives, grew old, and my wife died, and I was dying. We were told to return the crystal to the village after or before dying, okay? So, Native American, that's clearly Earth, or at least, you know, could have been previously Earth, whatever, but the fact that his wife died, 
this, I can't, you know, it's tempting to think, well, maybe it was either, you know, some people would say that this is a pre, a a life before this life, a, a reincarnation example. But then he goes on and experiences these things that clearly can't take place on earth that we know of. Um, this crystals and and um, becoming one with these crystals that that held the memories and lives of other people. Now, if somebody were to say this was on another planet, that this was another species or something, then you might have that argument to work with. But it's clearly a Native American village that they're talking about. And I don't know of Native Americans on other planets. They certainly wouldn't call themselves Native Americans, right? Um, so unless we're talking about some other um, uh, species, if you will, on another planet that you know very much resembles Native American, um, then it's hard to call it Native American. And yet, there's so many little aspects that sound like life after death. Um, it says the most brilliant yellow warming light opened in the cave. I walked into the light, feeling my life end. No fear, no loss, just total peace. And he feels himself leave his body. And the light warmed me, filled me, like it was recharging me with energy, but energy of thousands of lives stored in the crystal. Now, is the crystal some kind of... uh, of a symbol of the source light that uh, you know uh, contains the information of of every life that's ever lived whatever i don't know it, it, she, he says that um, as i was filled with oneness i felt as if i was being fired out of the light almost at light speed again no fear just loneliness about not being in the light and soon the light is just a speck in the distance, and then bang, he's back in his hospital bed. And, uh, and uh, you know, he lives a lifetime, from what I gather. And was this wife of his? I, I went and checked the notes afterward, and there's no indication either way that I can find. Uh, but... Uh, was this wife, his wife on earth in from his life? Or is this experience like a separate life? Like he, during his dying, you know, a uh, couple of weeks in a coma, or, or maybe in just the moments of his death, did he live this entirely separate life? Or maybe he experienced, uh, you know, someone else's life, or, you know, had, had uh, the life review of someone else. But if so... How could they have been Native American? And and if they were of, you know, of some other descent, why wouldn't he say some aboriginal people of some sort? I, you know, it, it's, it seems very contradictory to me. And yet it hints of near death and it hints of some other type of life out there. So I, I'm not sure what to make of it, honestly. I'm really not sure what to make of it. But uh, several times um, he described, and, and I go down into the notes, um, some of the questions. Some of them, it's just yes and no, whatever, and, and it seems whatever, um, like you might expect or whatever. But he, he talks about, um, 
know, did you pass through a tunnel? He says, yes, a cave-type dwelling with flowing stream, Native American women working on crystals in the opening, which is interesting. Okay, you could, this could be some of those symbolic reality kind of a situation where there really was people and the crystals were symbolic of something else. Um, and then he says that, uh, you know, did you encounter or become aware of any deceased or alive, or alive beings? He says, yes, Native American women and an old wise chief. Again, uh, making clearly clear reference to Native American. It sounds like he's being very specific about this type of of culture or this culture that he encounters. Did you enter some other unearthly world? He says, a clearly mystical or unearthly realm, green valley with eagles, deer, animals everywhere, blue, blue sky, crystal clear, cool water. I mean, this description fits the spirit world. It, it sounds like he was living in a village in the spirit world, which seems totally consistent, except, you know, with, with the idea of, you know, him being in, uh, in the spirit world and in this life, this village and so forth. And, and the crystals all could be part of this, you know, spirit world experience, except he says, my wife grew old, my wife died, and I was dying. That doesn't sound consistent with the spirit world. So it's like this conundrum of spirit worldish kind of things, except with mortal elements. So I'm, I'm just left to wonder about this experience. Kind of interesting. I wanted to share it just because of this conundrum that I find in it. Let's read uh, one more experience. This is by Pynchon on enderf.org. Pynchon says, Impressions came to me very quickly in a space with color, colorful prisms that paraded around me. I should pause for a moment and and say that this is translated from French. Uh, Pynchon is a, is a French uh, person and, and recorded it in French, so this is a translation. Anyway, continuing on. When I arrived in this space of soft and brilliant light, there was an amazing ambience of love. I felt like I was in communication with a charismatic entity. I was surprised because the being communicated in an unknown language that I understood. I had a life review where I saw the good and the bad events of my life. I was judged in this balance. The judgment was favorable. I had a feeling of extreme lucidity, omniscience, and superconscience, and I had the impression that I could speak all languages. I saw my two children, and saw is in quotation marks, I saw my two children currently living, being held by the hand. They were rays of light dressed in white. I was flooded with information. I knew I needed to come back to my children. Some messages printed themselves in my mind, and one only remained in my memory. It is necessary to fully use one's capacities on earth, not to waste his, her, its talents, but to share them with others. I made huge efforts to come back to life. When I came back to the world, I was agitated with what I was around me. I could not speak nor open my eyes, yet I felt all emotions 
and the thoughts of all around me. The first scene I saw was one of a tree against the gray sky with Paris off in the distance. I regretted my return. A depression followed, in spite of happiness at recovering. My family didn't want to listen to my deliriums. That is the end of Pynchon's account. So uh, let's talk about it a little bit. Pynchon describes um, seeing colorful prisms uh, in a space with colorful prisms that paraded around her. So I'm wondering if she is in a tunnel um, of uh, like a prismic tunnel or or maybe not. I you know I don't want to put words in her mouth, but uh, uh, she says that she arrived in this space of a soft and brilliant light, and there was an amazing ambience of love. This is very characteristic of near-death experience type of feelings and experiences. She says that she was in communication with a charismatic entity. I wonder what is meant by charismatic. I assume someone who is, is you know, really um, strongly present, I guess you could say, or, or uh, strongly loving, strongly involved in, in the experience, you know, not just a passive, quiet background character, if you will. I would assume that's what's meant by charismatic. She says, I was surprised because the being communicated in an unknown language that I understood. I had a life review where I saw good and bad events in my life, and I was judged on this balance. The judgment was favorable. So she's talking to this uh, being who is communicating with her in an unknown language that she understands. That's a contradiction, but it's a beautiful contradiction. She doesn't know this language, but she understands the words. Now, I'm not clear on if that meant that it was genuinely a different language being spoken, or if this was thought to thought. When you think about it, if you've never experienced thought to thought, as most of us haven't, or at least to our memory, of course, uh, prior to this life we would have, but without that memory, it would seem foreign to us. And so, would it sound somewhat foreign to us? Would it feel like it's from another language. I don't know. I, I, I can't imagine it would, but people say it wasn't in words. There wasn't e English words um, spoken, or, or French, as the case may be, but rather that uh, it's it's just thought-to-thought, feeling-to-feeling, you know, mind-to-mind uh, -mind communication. I don't even know what that would be like, but uh, but that is clearly communicated in many places. So I'm not sure if that's what she means or not. But she does say in the next uh, sentence, or in the next paragraph, I had the impression I could speak all languages. Interesting. And I don't know if that's because she can bypass language and go straight to thought, or if she genuinely can speak all languages in this form. If so, that's very interesting in it makes me wonder if there's something about language that's like just so elementary to the spirit that knowing all languages is kind of like knowing all the colors and being able to recognize all the colors. Well, of course you can make out what the color is, you know. Uh, just because you haven't been exposed to it before doesn't mean you can't see it 
you know, if it's something to that effect. I don't know. I don't know. But um, then she goes on and says, you know, when she talks about seeing all the events, good and bad, of her life. It sounds like she had a life review and the judgment was favorable. I don't know whether she means that, you know, the the balance between the good and the bad that she did feels like it it fell generally toward the good, or if she means that uh, that this being, this charismatic entity that's with her, uh, was kind in the judgment, uh, or in, not in the judgment, but uh, in in his or her um, assessment of the life review that Pynchon is having. I don't know, but interesting. Uh, and then she says that uh, she has this super lucidity, extreme lucidity, omniscience, and super conscience. So, I, you know, it sounds like that idea of knowing everything, you know, knowing all, whatever. And uh, though she doesn't go into a lot of detail about that, that is, that is something that is common in near-death experiences. And she says that I saw, in quotation marks, my two children, and in parentheses she says currently living, being held by the hand. Now, I'm not clear from this whether they were living at the time, and this record was simply made, or this um, account of the experience was much later. In fact, uh, the date of the experience was 1989, and I don't know when this was posted, but clearly it was, you know, long after 1989, because, well, you know, the internet wasn't even <laughs> a thing yet. But uh, I am not sure whether her children were alive at that time yet. She does say, I saw my two children currently living. Um, I assume currently, as in the, uh, you know, when she wrote this account. She says, being held by the hand, they were rays of light dressed in white. Now, if they are living at the time of her experience when she sees them, and she sees them as rays of light dressed in white, that's interesting because she's probably seeing their spirit form rather than just their physical form. And if that's not the case, if it's not that they were alive at the time, then she is probably seeing them prior to their being born, that she sees them as rays of light dressed in white because they haven't gone to earth yet and she recognizes them and you know it's this kind of thing it reminds me of that scene in doctor who when the uh the bad wolf character um who is you know a, a kind of symbolic of of the tardis and and some of the time lord technology and so forth anyway um says you know i i'm appearing in a in the in the form of a character from your past, or maybe your future. I always get those two confused. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's a funny line at the time, but this idea of this is something from your past, or maybe your future, I sometimes get them confused, is, seems to be sometimes the case. Because she says, I was flooded with information. I knew I needed to go back to my to my children. And going back to my children sounds like they are on the earth at the time. But she says, some messages printed themselves in my mind. And, and she's getting these different messages, most of which are forgotten. Um, and, and we'll get to the, the message that sticks in a moment. But 
you know, either she's seeing her, her children in their spirit form, although they are on the earth at the time, which is interesting, or she is seeing them prior to their coming to earth and is seeing them as if they were already on the earth. You know, like, like she's talking about coming back to her children would have to mean that she's confusing past and future a little bit. I don't know which it is, but it's interesting. And then uh, she says, of the messages that she got, there's only one that remained in her memory. And it was this. And I love this message. It is necessary to fully use one's capacities on earth. Not to waste his, her talents, but to share them with others. How cool is that? I mean, we all kind of know when we hear these messages of, you know, don't waste your time on earth and, and you know, live up to your potential and all this stuff. But, but hearing it like this, from the point of view of a spirit, because sometimes you wonder, you're like, but is this part of my life plan? Is this, you know, am I going off the beaten path if I do this? Well, if I'm reading this correctly, it sounds like it's necessary for you to fully use one's capacities on earth and not waste your talents but to share them with others. Now, of course, among those talents and incredibly important are your family and the love that you have for your family, the care that you give for them, the time that you devote to them. That is not time wasted by putting your time and effort toward your family. But that also um, suggests that don't just settle for only one thing. You know, don't just say, oh, well, I do my music and that's my talent and that's all I'm going to do. Because, you know, fulfill and use all of your capacities. Now, none of us can possibly, in the short time that we have, do all that is possible for us to do. So, you know, I could start right now to write a grand novel that uh, that I get published or try to get published or self-publish or whatever. And I could work on that project and and put it out there. I've, I've honestly thought about it. Well, let me put it that, this way. I've written some novels, but never really had anything come of them. Um, not for lack of effort, though. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I could write it, work on that again. I could go back to novel writing and try again and, and really put my effort into it. Or I could put more focus in this podcast or write, you know, more near-death experience books like the one that I've written and I've thought about doing that as well. Or I can put more emphasis on my music. You know, I mean, it's it's the kind of thing where, where there's so many possible things I could do, and I can't do them all. It's not possible. I could decide, you know, I should take up um, a car mechanics and become a really great car mechanic and be able to serve people by helping fix their cars. That's a great thing to do. But... I just feel no draw to it. Which is the point that I want to make? How do we know which talents and gifts we should develop and work on and work toward? How do we know? How do we know which things our spirit wants us to do? How do we know which things we came here to do? And, of course, the first honest and unfortunate response is we don't know. But... There are hints, and the biggest hint is, what do you feel positively pulled 
toward? Or what do you feel negatively pushed away from? So, you know, maybe maybe you're doing something that you love, but you feel like you need to be doing something else. That would be an example of being negatively pushed away from, where you just feel like, I'm supposed to be doing something. I love this, and I want to keep doing it, but I just feel like I need to be doing something else. And that would be uh, negatively pushed away from something. And then positively, positively pulled towards something is, like, I really feel like I need to, you know, write that novel, or I really feel that I need to, you know, create that art piece that I've been you know, just thinking about and wanting to do, or that project, I really feel like I want to, that I need to do that. And if you find yourself here, here's a good way of measuring a little bit, if it's your spirit possibly talking, is do you feel guilty for not doing the thing, for not doing what you feel like you should be doing? And if you feel guilty for not doing something that you feel like you should be doing, that could be an indicator or a clue that that's something you should be working toward. And whatever it is that you're doing, and perhaps many of you are fully engaged in what you're doing and you're just giving it all, and that is great. That is exactly what I'm trying to encourage people to do. But if you're not, and if you're in that situation where you feel like, "Ah, I feel a pull toward this and a pull or a pull away from this other thing, Maybe it's time to really get serious about that and just say, you know what? I'm not going to put it off anymore. I'm not going to put it off. I'm going to start today to do it. And I'm going to come up with either a schedule or a, uh, a system of rewarding myself for doing, you know, uh, some way of guaranteeing that I'm going to do this thing and that I am starting to work on it. You know, whatever it is, go get that first supply that you need for your project or Go and start writing that book or go and, you know, get the paints and stuff to start that painting, whatever it is. And I, I just say creative things because that's the kind of stuff I feel drawn toward. But for you, maybe it is auto mechanics. Maybe it is a volunteering of some kind. Maybe it is a job that you've been always wanting but never really had the guts to to just go in and say, hey, what can I do, you know? Uh, whatever it is, if there's something that you feel inclined to do, it could be something that relates to family. Maybe you're single and feel like, I really feel like I need to find somebody. Maybe it's time to buckle down and do the positive, appropriate things that will lead you to the right person. You know, and and only you can know what that would be. I, I can't possibly tell you because, you know, I'm not your spirit. Your spirit and, and God can guide you in that which is why prayer is so essential. I think uh, prayer is a shortcut to finding out um, what we should be doing because while we may have a hard time, you know, meditating and, and coming in touch with what our spirit wants to be doing or whatever, you can go straight to God and talk to him and say, please make it clear to me because I don't know what I'm doing. And he can bypass, the, you know, a lot of the things that... Uh, that maybe you would it would take to figure it out on your own what you should be doing in this life and if your prayers seem to go unanswered well just do the best you can just start diving into stuff start doing the things that are fully using your capacities on earth 
Don't waste your time. Don't waste your talents. Share them with others. You're not going to be able to do all of them, so devote what time you can to some of them. You know, maybe it means cutting out a Netflix show. Maybe it means, you know, doing a little bit less Facebook or, or you know, maybe it means, um, I don't know. It, it could be anything. You know, there are ways to make time if time is your issue. For most of us, time is an issue, but it is not the only issue. And if we were to replace some of the things that we love to do or feel like we have to do, be as as a de-stressor or a way of you know relaxing or whatever replace some of that with something that's really meaningful to us honestly it'll it won't take long before you'll be like why was i putting off you know uh neglecting my uh this this netflix series when i when i you know i mean i experience now what i'm experiencing and doing what i'm doing this is so much funner than any show i ever watched I mean, you can ask anybody who has deeply delved into a, a talent or gift of some kind. It is more fun than watching a movie or Facebooking or whatever. And admittedly, it's work. It's, it's almost always work. And it's almost always physically or mentally or psychologically or emotionally draining in some way. But it's almost always draining in a different way than your work or your family or whatever it is that's that is draining you and leaving you with so little energy to do what you feel like you should be doing so just try that and um i think that is a powerful enough message that if we were to just take that message it is necessary to fulfill or sorry it is necessary to fully use one's capacities on earth and not to waste your time your talents, but to share them with others. I can't think of a better message we could get out of this today. As we finish up, I would like to remind you all that um, on the website, neardeathexperiencepodcast.org, all of the previous episodes of the show are available so that you, having this Patreon link, have the now six episodes that are up on Patreon and go to neardeathexperiencepodcast.org and you can download any and all of the previous shows. It's somewhere around 200 right now. I'll have to look. In, I'm, I, I'm strongly suspicious that it's over 200 on the website now. So with all those and, and these, you have lots of material to read or listen to. So if you haven't gone back and heard all 200 plus episodes of the show and you want more, there is more to be had. If you've been listening from the beginning and you're all caught up and everything, I just applaud you and thank you so much. My goodness, that is devotion. I know how much time it takes me creating these shows and so I have just an inkling of of you know what you might be spending your time how much time you're spending listening to the show and I just deeply appreciate it I hope that you understand how much that means to me because you know I really feel like this is part of my reason for being here on earth this this program is simple as it is and is and is you know small as it may be in its lifetime I feel like 
I'm making a difference because it's making a difference in people's lives. And they're contacting me and telling me how much it's meaning to them is making a difference in my life. Because there are days where I get up and I'm like, I just don't want to do it today. I'm tired. But then I start into the show and I remember what incredible messages we have here. And then I check my inbox and I see that people have contacted me to thank me for you know a particular episode or some message and i'm just like wow this it's a joint thing that we're doing this is not a one-way service it it is not a one-way service you guys are doing all kinds of good for me and i hope that i'm doing some good for you so with that thank you all for listening and thank you so much for your patronage and support